to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them or not. I am Kristen LaBianca, and I'm here with Lane Fargo. Hello. And Wendy Hurd. Hello. And today we are extremely excited to be joined by young adult author Mindy McGinnis. Hello. Mindy McGinnis is an Edgar Award-winning novelist who writes across multiple genres, including post-apocalyptic, historical, thriller, contemporary, mystery, and fantasy. While her settings may change, you can always count on Mindy's books to deliver grit, truth, and an unflinching look at humanity and the world around us. That is very true about your books, Mindy. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Writing a bio, I think, is the hardest thing an author can be asked to do. So when I came up with that, I was like, that's good. We're sticking with it. Yeah, that's really true. Like, we can write, like, 100,000 words in a novel, but when it comes to, like, write one sentence about yourself, it's like, what? How do I possibly do that? It's tough. Very. So we're really excited to have you here. I know that there might be some fangirling going on during this interview <laughs> because um, we love your books. Uh, and you do write across genres, but your last couple books, uh, like especially The Female of the Species and um, This Darkness Mine, have been firmly in the wheelhouse of this podcast being about unlikable female characters. So what makes you want to write about women like that? Well, for one thing, I am one. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yes. I mean, that has always been true of me. One of the things I can remember from a young age, and it wasn't by people that meant anything by it. They were just doing what society had taught them. But I was always being told that I was too loud. Mm. Like, I distinctly remember this. Teachers, um, friends, family, whatever it may be, you know, my voice is loud. I am a loud person. And I talk about things that make people uncomfortable. And from a young age, it was curiosity that was bringing me there. And now it's, I would say, sometimes anger or just a sense of uh, righteousness that will bring whatever the topic may be. But I think writing about these characters, for me, a lot of it came about because I worked in a public high school for... Um, almost 15 years and it was a wonderful experience I love it I miss it I wasn't a teacher I was a librarian and I worked there with in a in a rural school district a poor district a rural district and I would see what you would expect to see in a high school and that's not always pretty I will say it is better than it was when I was in high school in the 90s (laughs) But um, I would see these kids and um, see the things they were going through, both girls and boys, but definitely girls are not allowed or supposed to say or feel or speak of certain things. And I started thinking about some of the things that, you know, I went through when I was in high school and the things that we go through as adults, too, just as women moving through the world. And how difficult it can be. And I had the, an idea specifically for the female species, which you asked about when I was in college. And I started thinking, I want to write about that. I think that story would be a good one, which is a rape, revenge, vigilante justice story. Yes. Yes. And so I decided <laughs> to try to, originally I had written this as an adult like thriller. Mm-hmm. And I decided I wanted to flip it into a YA and... It just so happened that right before The Female of the Species came out is when um, Donald Trump got the nomination. And (laughs) he said it was right before he got the 
I'm sorry. I can't remember if it was right before he got elected. I think it was actually right before the election when he was talking about grabbing women by the pussy and how they right. lived that. And that was right when my book came out. And I was like, this could not be more suiting, more... Right. This is perfect. Like, I am so glad that my name is on this thing that states how I feel right now. Yes, it's like, it's so unfortunate that everyone has to deal with it. But as far as timing goes with a book release, it's quite serendipitous. Oh, absolutely. And also just having my name stamped on that and saying, you know, there is no doubt about how I feel. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I love the female of the species so much. Thank you. And I think, uh, so it is a, a rape revenge fantasy, but it, it starts out like that. You've got the most badass opening chapter of any book ever possibly because Alex, the protagonist of this book, uh, her sister was murdered years before the book started. And the, the first chapter of this book is really about how um, Alex is thinking about how she's going to kill the man who murdered her sister. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because like that could that whole thing could be its own story. But that's the starting point of this book. Like she's already murdered this guy. That's mm-hmm. in the past. This is not a book about that. This is a mm-hmm. book about what happens next. And I think that that's such a fascinating place to uh, really start the story. What made you decide to sort of start it there? What really gave you the idea of a a protagonist like Alex? Well, when I was in college, I suddenly had two things I never had before, which was air conditioning and cable. (laughs) And I, I made use of those things. And so I was watching a true crime channel, whatever that would have been in 90. Eight, 97, 98. And there was a documentary about a murder that had happened to a young woman in a very small town and everyone pretty much knew who did it, but they couldn't convict because there wasn't enough physical evidence. Right. And the guy walked. And so this documentary crew was in this small town. They were walking around talking to people. They actually spoke to the man that supposedly committed the murder. And I was watching this and of course they have all of the evidence mounting and I was just like, man, like it's so clear that he did it, but the justice system can't do anything about it. And I started thinking about that and I was like, you know, many, many of these people that this documentary crew was interviewing were just righteously upset about this. And so many of them were just like, yeah, I mean, we know he did it. And I started thinking to myself as I became extremely upset because the internet was a new thing. And I was (laughs) like, you know, I don't remember now the name of the town or where it happened. I want to say it was in Missouri, but I was like, you know, if I wanted to, because they're saying the name of this town, they're saying the name of this man, they interview him. He's on camera. I know what he looks like. And as I became more and more righteously angry, I was like, you know, if I wanted to, I could find this town and I could go kill this guy. <laughs> and then I thought that I have been watching too much cable. So <laughs> so I turned off the TV. But I was like, you know what? What if there was someone that didn't have that, oh, you shouldn't do that. So what if there was someone that didn't have that filter of that ink, that absolute black and white of right and wrong? What if someone did? And that's when I started thinking about it. And I wrote an early version of the female of the species, like 15 years before it was published. And you're right. The whole idea 
is that the crime has already happened. It's not about the fact that she did, did kill this guy. It's not about the right. fact that she's going to, that she wants to, that it's going to happen. It's about the fact, it's about the fallout for yes. her mentally and not through the justice system again because she gets away with it just as he did. And it's about her living with that. And everyone always expects that I'm going to say her living with the guilt. And it's the opposite. <laughs> she yes. says herself, I don't feel bad. And she yes. has to be like, okay, what does that mean? I killed someone. I don't feel bad. We got to sit down and think about this. And that's what the rest of the book is about. Yes, she goes from being a woman who's, uh, her, whose sister was murdered to being a murderer herself and sort of has to see how she fits into the grand scheme of high school in this small town being, yep. you know, a murderess, which is a very compelling place to to tell a story. I just, I can't tell you how much I love this book. Well, thank you so much. And it, it means a lot to me, too, just in that I, of course, grew up in a small town and I know how girls are made to feel in everywhere, of course, but um, particularly in a conservative small town, you know, a lot of the time girls don't necessarily feel like they can say when something is going on, that things are their fault, that they are going to be blamed. And while that is true everywhere still today, I know that in the nineties in particular, just for example, you know, when we were getting into our lockers, we would reach up, you know, to the upper, that upper storage space and we're stretching and we're on our tiptoes and there were guys that would walk past and just run their hands over our torsos. Like if our t-shirts mm -hmm. were pulled up, they would just touch us and we were, we all hated it and we were all annoyed, but none of us were ever like, Hey, that's assault. You cannot touch me. Right. I went to a Catholic school. And so um, in high school, I had a little uniform, a little, a little gray wool dress that I had to wear. Mm -hmm. And being forced to wear like a skirt every day to high school just invited all kinds of things. And I can't even tell you how many times someone like reached up my skirt or looked up my skirt. Like it's just mm -hmm. a whole thing. And we just sort of like, we're like, oh, I didn't like that. But what can you do? Like right. no one is saying this is assault. Don't touch me again. Like right. we're just supposed to sort of put up with it and that's mm -hmm. so terrifying yeah. and I'm really glad that that is beginning to change that people are able to give the name assault to something when it is assault um, absolutely amazing. yeah I mean for a long time we've just been told to accept this boys will be boys and it's simply not true so I do see that changing and I wanted to write during said it during this time period for that reason as well and also with Alex, my main character, having committed this crime, she has decided to really pull back from society. She recognizes that there is a dangerous element within her and that perhaps she cannot be trusted around quote unquote normal people. And so she has really pulled herself away from society and doesn't have any friends and is just trying to more or less move through life without harming anyone else. And then through the course of her um, senior year project, she has volunteering at an animal shelter and she becomes friends with another girl and she's pulled into back into society through this. So she's hanging out with other girls. She's going to parties. She's seeing these things that she has purposely pulled herself away from. And she's seeing girls 
put up with some of this stuff. And she's like, okay, okay, I'm getting angry. I'm getting angry. I'm going to do something about this and questioning, do I do something? Don't I do something? And of course she does because she has such a moral compass inside of her for what is right and what is wrong, but it doesn't necessarily always apply to herself, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I went to a high school very like Alex's. I remember when I was reading the book, it just seems so familiar because I grew up in small town Ohio, really close to you, right, Mindy? I think our high schools played each other in football. Is that true? You have to tell me. Where did you go to high school? Pleasant High School. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah, so totally. Same athletic conference. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. We probably crossed paths many times. Yeah. um, And I remember when I read your book, I just was like, I wish I had a friend like Alex in high school. That would have just made (laughs) high school so much better for me and all the other girls at my school. I just I love her so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I think that um, so many of the teenagers that I speak to today, because they do want to talk to me about um, these things, they will say, you know, I wish I had an Alex and I wish I had parents like the parents in the book who were supportive and um, in tune with their children and understanding the world that they live in. And those are the kinds of things that I wanted to write real high school. I didn't want to write romanticized high school. And I wanted to write real characters and um, people that make mistakes. And especially with my uh, with my character, Branley, she is a girl that everyone is supposed to dislike in a normal in a in a typical teen movie situation. <laughs> she would be the girl that you don't like. She's the perfect blonde, beautiful high school cheerleader girl who has everything, girl who has, quote unquote, stolen the boyfriend of Alex's best friend, PK. And she's set up as the villain all the way until she has her moments where you realize she's just a girl trying to get along in the world, too. (laughs) This is Wendy. uh, And I have to say, I, I loved what you did with that character because I felt like you you just took apart that whole dehumanization of girls by other girls. And, you know, you took this character that in a lot of cases would be treated as really like less than human, Mm -hmm. you know, like fembot character. And you really just undid that. And you were like, look, you know, this is just one of the many ways that the patriarchy has has messed with us. And it's not, you know, you made it not her fault. You just made her doing the best that she could and and making mistakes, but you made sexual mistakes part of the reasonable mistakes that a girl might make. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was really important to me to do that with Branley because society, one of the most insidious things that society has done to us is that it makes women view other women as the enemy. Yes. And that is, it's it's by design because it's perfect. If we do not look to each other for help and support, where else are we going to find it often? And mm-hmm. that is one of the things that I really did want to attack in this book because it is one of the first things we do as women and even as adults. And it's something I catch myself doing all the time. If I see a really beautiful woman my first instinct, and I'm getting better at this, isn't, oh, wow, she's so beautiful. Good for her. It's, damn it, I don't look that good. You right. know? And you're angry. And you're angry at what you don't have. And you're angry at her for looking better than you. And then even worse is when you meet a beautiful woman 
who is also incredibly intelligent and you're surprised. <laughs> and that is such a horrible reaction for us to feel that way. And it's something that, you know, we I still fight as an adult. And it's like, yeah, you can be beautiful and you can be smart and you can be anything you want to be. I mean, we just we've been taught so many things that are just erroneous. And I really wanted to use Branley to break that down and to have her be a real person. She's a beautiful girl. And she has been taught, as many beautiful girls are, that your beauty is a weapon and sex is a weapon mm -hmm. and that you're going to use this to move through the world to your benefit. And that has damaged her in many ways. And she has made mistakes. And that's okay. You know, we all make them whatever they are. And I think, too, one of the ways that I first started humanizing Branley through the eyes of PK, who is the character whose boyfriend has broken up with her in order to be with Branley, is that PK is a dog person all the way, loves animals and particularly dogs. And she realizes, she finds out that Branley has a St. Bernard. Branley <laughs> is a St. Bernard owner. And she is just like completely like mystified by this and there's a line in the book where she's like saint bernard owners are the most patient people on earth and so she has to like start reconfiguring branley already where she's like wait branley has a saint bernard you know and this changes things for her right <laughs> it's so it's so good they're just such vivid uh people and i love the way you treat your your teenage characters um you don't write books that have to have a a big time romantic subplot or right. it's not all about you know getting a date or you know living happily ever after um, because like everyone knows that even if you you have a, a momentarily happily ever after ending in high school it's not like a happily ever after forever no so i really love that your books don't even pretend on that score yeah and that's something that i've always taken issue with in any uh storyline with teens is when they, they do get that happily ever after. And it's like, dude, you you are 17 years old, man. <laughs> it's like, is there, I mean, I'm 40. I'm just now getting there. So right? it's like, <laughs> let's, let's put some reality on this. And that's something that, that does, um, well, it's something that, I mean, in general, has always kind of um, bothered me about any type of romance in any genre. There's always, in any age group, any age category, I think there's always a... Um, a really um, pink filtered happy light always surrounding these romantic relationships and you know it bothers me because that's not real life and I think uh, I know particularly when I was a kid and I was growing up and I was reading these stories I was like oh okay so that's what you get someday that's what you <laughs> earn is this happy this wonderful perfect person and this happiness forever and it's like no no you do not <laughs> no, no not at all <laughs> um, on that uh, note, I think that's a good opportunity to segue into talking about this darkness mine a little bit because that is definitely not a happily ever after romantic ending mm -hmm. uh, between Sasha and Isaac. So this darkness mine is a contemporary young adult psychological thriller, I would say. Yeah. Um, with uh, the protagonist, Sasha Stone, is a highly driven band geek super dedicated to music and has great grades uh, until she starts to sort of wonder if she's losing her mind mm -hmm. um and she discovers that she had uh she was one of 
twins, uh, but she never had a sister. So there was no record of her sister being born or dying. And she becomes obsessed with the idea that she may have absorbed her sister's body, basically, and Mm -hmm. that all of her negative impulses are being caused by uh, her unborn, undead twin sister. Uh, And I think Sasha is a totally fascinating character, very different from Alex in Mm -hmm. The Female of the Species. And I've just sort of always wondered, like, uh, what would Alex think of someone like Sasha? Because Alex does have that really rigid uh, moral code about everyone else Mm -hmm. so that's a great question and when you gave me the questions ahead of time i was like man that's a tough one (laughs) i am gonna have to sit here and think about this sorry um no it's okay i i love having a tough question that's wonderful so i think because sasha is very driven and because she is like i have a goal and i'm achieving this goal and if you are in my way you will become crushed i think that alex would appreciate that I think that Alex would see her as someone who is using what she has to get what she wants and that she would be, um, she would be okay with that. I don't think that she would critique her methods until it comes down to how she treats her friends particularly Mm -hmm. because her friends are very much stepping stones for her. They are people that she has around her in order to fill out the the playlist, the cast of who is supposed to be in the perfect life. Right. Not necessarily people that she actually cares about. And she's surrounding herself also with um, yes women. At least one of her friends in particular is definitely there just for her to be the beta and to make herself feel better about herself and that I have this one person that will always be loyal to me no matter what. And I know that because she is dependent upon me. Mm-hmm. And so she does manipulate people. She manipulates everyone. And I think that I think that Alex would feel the same way about Sasha that I do, which is that she's like, okay, I know that what you're doing is wrong, but I also completely admire how fucking <laughs> good at it you are. Yes. <laughs> She's very good at it. Her, uh, I don't want to give away any spoilers about this book because it's got an ending that will just like smash you in the face. Uh, but the way that her her saga ends with that act is just so wow. She really oh, goes you. for it. Thank you. Yes, she does. She's like, well, and that's exactly. I mean, this is who she is. She is driven to the point where it's like, I have a goal, and I will achieve this goal, even if it means. You know, <laughs> deep, dark, horrible, awful, terrible things. Like, the goal is the goal. Period. Right. And you have to, like, imagine Isaac being 100% traumatized for the rest of his life. Yeah, he will never be okay again. Never. <laughs> and she does not even care. No. No. In fact, she doesn't even ask about him, you know. No. Another character is like, um, you know, that you really damaged him. And she's like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I love that she's um, not the typical kind of like popular queen bee character who's right. so driven and manipulating people, but that she's a band geek. Yes. Um, <laughs> and is a very uh, ambitious person who was a band geek myself. I just like really related to her and was cheering her on maybe even when I shouldn't have been, but oh, I, I love know. that yeah, character. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's the whole point. Um, I, when I was working on this book in my head, the operating title was Fight Club in the Band Room. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank yes. you. And um, I wanted to create this person where it is kind of like um, Mean Girls or something like that, where you're like, I, I don't like you, but I cannot look away from you. You are fascinating. Yes. And high school band is intense, man. It's it can so be. Intense. It can be. Lane, exactly. I'm so curious. What did you play in band? Um, I played the clarinet and the both the alto and tenor saxophone and the bass guitar and various. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I, I played the clarinet, the bass clarinet, and the euphonium in band. Oh, wow. I played so. the trombone. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we had any female trombone players at my school. We are badass. a rare breed. <laughs> yeah, low brass is a very uh, male-driven it is. area of the band, unfortunately. Yes, it is. It's also, it can be quite boring. Uh, not a lot of interesting low brass parts. And No, in we, don't get a, we don't get a lot of melody. That's no, the truth. Yeah. No. We are unsung heroes. <laughs> Wendy, were you a band geek in high school? Wendy was probably too cool for band. I mean, like, I played the trombone in eighth grade because we were forced to take a music class in that year. <laughs> but, like, I went to school in, like inner city LA and I I know in retrospect I think there was a band but I don't think I ever heard of it I didn't even know we had a football team until I like wandered (laughs) to school after in like the dark one day with the guy I forget why we were going I think he like just we were just wandering around like probably you know stoned or something (laughs) and we were like just do 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 and then suddenly there was a football game happening and we were like there's a football team at our high school I was like a senior (laughs) but legit there were like 12 people in the stands like it's just not a thing really that's so funny because and I'm sure that this is true for everybody else from Ohio too but when um when we have a football game it's like I mean especially right now god bless them they try their best our football team did not I don't think they won a single game this year um stands are packed because this is what you do on a Friday night you go to the football game there's nothing else to do but it's basically a religion in small town Ohio yes ma'am if you like, put a gun to my head, I could not explain the rules of football to you, like at all. Like I don't it, know what the numbers are. It's a complicated game. It's a complicated <laughs> game. I couldn't either, and I was in the marching band, and I went to countless football games. But I, <laughs> yeah, I I'm not super clear on the rules, um, but I've definitely been to my share of those games. So well, I can games. say I, I do understand football to a degree. Uh, <laughs> it, it would be the the sport I understand the least. But I was also in, of course, marching band, and what's really cool now is my little school, my little hometown, has an amazing marching band. And people actually come to the football game to see the band now. That's awesome. It really is. That is the best thing I've ever heard, I think. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Uh, Well, you've got a new book coming out next week at the time this episode airs. So let's chat about that. Is that another unlikable female character novel? Well, it's a good question. I guess it depends on how you feel about addicts. Um, (laughs) My main character, her name is Mickey. Uh, The book is called Heroin. Heroin with an E on the end as in a female hero. And it is about a female athlete, which I feel there are not enough represented in YA literature. Very true. And it's so true. As a librarian for years, it was like I was just just scoring through my sacks looking for books for these girls that wanted to read about female athletes and I always said to myself I'm writing one someday (laughs) so I did so my main character named Mickey is on a a softball team in a very small rural town and her team has uh made it to state 
a few years in a row and it's her senior year and some of the girls on the team and most particularly her best friend who is the pitcher really need that exposure to uh, college scouts and things like that in order to achieve their dreams and get to college and do all the things that they want to do. And my main character, Mickey, is the catcher. She is in a car accident with the pitcher, her friend, and they are both hurt. Uh, Mickey has to have surgery on her hip. And in order to be in physical shape to play by the time the season starts in the spring, she has to go through really extreme physical therapy. And so they give her Oxycontin to get through her recovery and she finds out that the only way she can get through her physical therapy is with the oxy. Um, of course, <coughs> of course, with the rules being what they are today, it's more difficult to get a hold of. She can't get the prescription from her doctor after a certain point, and she does make that transition from oxycotton to using heroin, and it's just about her long, slow slide down into addiction. That and is, as far as being unlikable, um, you know, I, I certainly hope not. She makes mistakes. And the whole idea of the book is to illustrate that addiction is something that can happen to anyone. You know, it can happen to the star athlete. It can happen to the smart kid. It can happen to a black person, a white person, a girl, a boy. It can happen to anyone. Very true. Is this book also set in Ohio? It is. I try to set all of my books in Ohio. Um, it, with the exception of my fantasies, uh, they are all set in Ohio because, uh, you know, you write what you know, but mm -hmm. also I, I love it here and this is where I'm from and where I remain. And so I do really try to represent small town life, small town Midwestern rural life. I love that. Uh, and it's especially topical for uh, a book about uh, the opioid crisis in Ohio. because It's definitely a, a real struggle here. Um, For sure, the um, the uh, the Rust Belt, especially the uh, the closed down factories, everything going on, ha the has been going on, the economic fallout for the past like twenty years has been. Uh, it's a huge contributor to the epidemic. And I read a book called Dreamland, and it's all about the rise of the opioid crisis and how those roots can be found back in the nineties when. Opioids were pretty easy to get a hold of and prescriptions were written left and right. And one of the main epicenters that people look to now historically for the beginnings of this opioid crisis is Portsmouth, Ohio. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's kind of crazy uh, to think about that. You know, the, the Rust Belt region is huge, but Portsmouth is a small place, but it's sort of connected to a lot of different it's kind it's so close to the border it's mm -hmm. just people come from all over and it's really quite scary yeah um, and there's a lot of reasons why the traffic drug traffic can move through there as far as like transportation highways rivers there's a lot of reasons why it became the epicenter but yeah i mean it's it's really scary yeah i'm really uh glad to see a young adult novel exploring that through the the lens of a female athlete too. I think that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And some of my early readers had the exact reaction that I was going for while I was writing it because you'll be in, it's in first person. So you're with her. Mm -hmm. And um, so there'll be situations where, <coughs> excuse me, there'll be situations where 
she's going through withdrawal and she needs to play. She mm-hmm. has to be out there. And so she has to, you know, get another hit in order to be well, is what right. they call it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so she's desperately trying to get her next fix. And my readers would be like, oh my gosh, she's like, I was reading this scene when she's out there just like trying to get herself her next fix. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope she gets it. I hope she gets it. I hope she gets what she needs. I mean, where's she going to go in order to get? And then I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want her to get drugs. Drugs are bad. Right. And I'm like, no, good. That That's exactly how I want you to feel. Like, yes. I want you to feel her panic and her drive and her need. Yes, that is fantastic. Uh, Mindy, you are the first young adult author we've had as a guest on the show. Um, and I'm curious about how the young adult market responds to unlikable protagonists. I know there's a, a huge appetite in the adult thriller world, but is the young adult market any different? I, it, you know, I think that for the most part, I know that young adult, if you have a good hook, and I know that that's true of any market, but if you have something that can get people's attention right away. So with the female of the species, we're talking about rape, revenge, vigilante justice, and murder. And so people immediately are like, yes, I want that. And so that, in particular, when we're talking about sales, has sold really well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was word of mouth. People would read that book and talk to other people about it. And it continues. I think it came out in 2016. And it continues to have really strong sales. And a lot of that is because of the climate that we live in right now and the Me Too mm-hmm. movement and Time's Up and all of these things. And, of course, the presidency and the political climate. But also just people talking to people about it and recommending it to each other and girls talking to girls and women talking to girls and saying, read this, you need this. Um, I think This Darkness Mine is a little different. I don't think anyone quite knows what to think of that book. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I am not going to lie to you. That book has not sold well. Um, Hardly made a wave. Um, You know, it's just... and, And part of it, I think, is because... You know, maybe it doesn't have that same hook of, you know, a girl kills a rapist and she doesn't feel bad. You know, that immediately people are listening. But... I don't know, you know, I don't have a good reason. I I know the cover is amazing. The artist, uh, Aaron, who works at HarperCollins, won a design award for Mm. the cover of This Darkness Mine. And, you know, I I can't really say why that particular book isn't talked about and isn't selling the way, of course, we had hoped. Um, It could be partially because she is so unlikable. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't read my reviews. So very wise. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how she has been received because I don't read my reviews and I don't see a lot of people talking about it online. Um, but the people that do, it's one of those things where it's like the people that love this book are just like, oh, my God, I love this book. And they will tweet like pictures of it and um, parts of her dialogue, which in particular her dialogue, Sasha's dialogue is so cutting and so cruel and so awful. And so manipulative. And people will email me even and be like, oh, my God, when she said this, I fell through the floor. And I'm like, I'm so glad because, like, she's a horrible person. (laughs) But I loved writing her. It was so much fun. I'm sure she was so much fun to write. I have uh, one more question about that book, actually. Like, when when she's in the hospital, uh, sort of towards the middle of the book, it sort of – it shifts from being – about uh high school to being about this this community of 
people in the hospital. And it, mm-hmm. it made me think of um, the Lurleen McDaniel you oh know, yes sick girl six months to live six <clears throat> months to live and everyone you know with cancer in the book is a complete angel of course oh yes so beautiful um and i just think it's so interesting the contrast between something like that and this book where we've got sasha with this nasty scar on her head and she's just so, so evil she's like not the the saintly angelic uh no. sick person at all no, <clears throat> I love that you uh, bring that up because, yeah, like everybody that grew up in the 80s, you know, I read all my six months to live and, <laughs> you know, someone dies, someone lives is actually a title. <laughs> <clears throat> and, um, you know, it was like those those books where, yeah, I mean, the sick people are just totally, you know, these uh, ethereal returning to their heavenly home kind of thing. and. <laughs> And I was just like, you know, p- sick people are people too, you know. Right. They make mistakes and 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 are and can be horrible, you know. And so when I was writing those scenes in particular in the hospital, because it turns out Sasha actually has a heart condition, and so she ends up in uh, waiting for a transplant and living in a like a community a hospice type care situation, and uh, so she gets a new circle of friends there. And so I had created, of course, the friends from high school, and now I had to create these friends in in the hospital and in this care community. And that was fun for me because I could explore that. Yeah, you know, they're not all angels. And in particular, there's a few scenes where they, three of them have actually started almost like this statistical death game where... (laughs) They're watching the news and looking for people who have died recently in their area and they're trying to figure out their age and uh, with a contact at the DMV, whether or not they're organ donors and running this (laughs) algorithm that Sasha has come up with to see if they might get their heart. And um, my editor was like, this is really like kind of cold and alarming and disturbing. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I like it, you know? (laughs) It's like yeah. these 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 kids don't want to die either. So <laughs> that's such uh, such a good use of like the beautiful uh, chronically ill evil genius <laughs> right, <laughs> to come exactly. up with that particular algorithm with that game. It's <laughs> just so perfect. Yeah, yeah um, I had fun with it. Yeah, it definitely it definitely shows. It's a really like it's i mean the book itself is not fun but reading it is fun it's like yes it's like a it's pretty dark but it's just like so enjoyable there's a lot of dark humor in there for yes, sure definitely. i mean in a lot of ways you can just read it and have a great time <laughs> mm-hmm. yes for sure um got one more question for you favorite okay. unlikable female character ooh um okay so have you seen The Last Seduction? Ooh, no, I haven't. Okay. Watch The Last Seduction. I'm going to I'm gonna Google it really quick. It is a movie, and it can't, I think it's from the 90s, 1994. Here we go. Here, I'm going to read you this. It says, a devious <laughs> sex pot steals her husband's drug money and hides out in a small town where she meets the perfect dupe for the next scheme. Oh, my God. <laughs> That sounds amazing. I'm, I've never heard of this. No, I need to watch that today. Uh-huh, you do. <laughs> the Last Seduction. It is from 1994. 
Um, Bill Pullman is in it. That's oh, okay. her husband. Um, let's see. Linda Fiorentino. Is oh. Yep. <laughs> Whatever happened to her? She's yeah, so hot. She uh, she's really super hot. And this book is, I'm sorry, this movie is amazing. <laughs> we watched this in one of my film classes and um, in college. And, and everybody, like, I remember the discussion the next day. And this one guy is just like, she's this. She's a, she's a, what did he say? He said she was a, um, a nymphomaniac, a nymphomaniac, uh, narcissist or something. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, and what is wrong with that? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. sounds like our kind of lady for sure. for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. You got to watch that movie. So that, I mean, I know it's, it's not an easy one to be like, oh yeah, of course that one. But no, she is amazing. I mean, no redeemable qualities whatsoever. <laughs> I love it. I'm definitely going to check that out today. Mm-hmm. I would um, also recommend the movie Bound. Yes. Yeah. That is, yes. Yeah, for Absolute sure. Absolute classic. Yep. yep. That's a great one. Yes. Well, Mindy, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yes. And Heroin comes out on March 12th. March 12th. Everyone, grab your copy as soon as you can. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.